0: So hello there, and welcome to another episode of the DNF One F One podcast. My name is Adam Burns, I'm one of your hosts, and joining me once again, my co-host, it's Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Um, I'm very happy as a Lewis Hamilton fan that yet another win for Lewis. You know they touched on it themselves on Sky Sports. They're running out of compliments for the guy and, and everything that Mercedes are doing. But on the flip side, as uh, An F1 fan and somebody that's obviously gone new to the content-creating game. I sense that there's a lot of people feeling flat about how dominant Mercedes are at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing unprecedented levels of dominance by which we've probably never ever seen before. I mean, we saw glimpses of it during the Red Bull dominant period back in the early 2010s. And of course, Ferrari had their period of dominance in the early 2000s. But this is on a complete different level to anything that we've ever seen before. And you're right, Corny, it does tend to bring a flat tone to the actual show. I think a lot of races now, we kind of count on Valtteri Bottas in particular trying to ruffle some feathers in the Mercedes camp and try and beat Lewis Hamilton in equal machinery. But once again, it just completely fell flat after the first lap. you just almost be forgiven for thinking that when Valtteri was looking like he might try for a move at the first lap, or first opportunity, I should say, he he didn't really look like he was even bothered to try.
1: Well, yeah, I I hyped up the start of this race so much, like you have seeing it on the um, on the Instagram, like, there was so much hype over the first lap, particularly on the Kemmel straight, because in previous seasons when they've gone the spa, we've seen overtakes that have defined the race they would create a story throughout the uh, throughout the race itself, but Lewis has got everything so spot on, didn't he? he parked the car on the grid perfectly so he could sit off at the right angle. He got turn one almost as good as he possibly could. And he just managed to create enough space between him and Valtteri to actually, it was almost as if they coordinated their movements along the Kemmel Strait to stop any kind of lunge by Verstappen.
0: Exactly. And I think it tells the whole story when most of the F1 fans and Paddock are probably relying on Daniel Ricciardo who started fourth in Renault and Max Verstappen in the red ball behind Valtteri Bottas in a Mercedes to try and make that lunge on Lewis Hamilton going into Lecombe when you'd expect it's an absolute bombardment down the Kemmel Strait and that kind of tells its own story of the race really I mean it was a very dominant performance from Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes of course they had to manage tyre issues throughout that second stint owing to the safety car early on but Going back to the overall result, Lewis Hamilton winning is his 89th career victory in Formula One now, only two behind Michael That's Schumacher. Just it's just getting closer and closer. I mean, I said before the start of the season, it almost seemed inevitable that Lewis was going to do it. And I just did not expect it to be so quick into the season. We're eight races in now. And, or sorry, not eight, seven races, I should say. Seven races in now. And Lewis has won five of the last six which where i mean it's just staggering how dominant he is at the moment i i can't see uh i can't see really anybody getting near him at the moment
1: did you um did you see his uh interview uh, with sky sports after the race
0: uh i did i just felt i found it quite intriguing
1: um, because first of all, he you know he spoke about the dominance obviously of Mercedes. and um it was almost he he almost took like a, a step out of his own body and was almost talking as if he was a fan of the sport. and he almost sounded disappointed that there isn't a challenge to Mercedes at the moment. He's obviously impressive how, how, how well the team are doing. he's not knocking the team, but he was touching on the fact that other teams around Mercedes haven't done enough. And he also touched on the point that Red Bull only have one driver that could potentially challenge Mercedes and not two. And that's, in fact, harming how Red Bull could put enough pressure on Mercedes to affect their strategy or push them to, you know, damage the tyres to make Mercedes make mistakes. And they don't have that. And it was interesting to see... Even Lewis is aware of how much they're dominating and how other teams and other drivers have a lot of work to do in order to catch up.
0: Yeah, it's a grand concern in Formula 1. This always seems to be in this turbo-hybrid era that Mercedes tend to usually have just the one challenger. And today, that's Max Verstappen in a red ball. Before, it was Sebastian Vettel in a Ferrari. Of course, Charles de was a bit of an antagonist in Mercedes' side last season, towards the second half of that season. But going forward with that... It does seem concerning and, and Lewis is quite right to point this out. I think in other areas of dominance there were always times where the team at the top always had to be wearier on their toes of the challenges behind them because they could easily cause some problems and they rose to that challenge. But as we can see, Mercedes just don't seem to have that concern right now. They always seem to have the two cars at the front of the field and for what it's worth, I'm just am not sure where that next challenge is going to come from because Max and Red Bull... The combination is fantastic, but if it weren't for Mercedes, they'd be dominating it between the two of them right now. And Ferrari are just completely nowhere, the only other realistic team that can challenge them. And I suppose in some regards, there's always that excitement around a team like Racing Point for what they've done this year. But once again, a little bit underwhelming considering where we thought they would possibly be and where their practice pace alluded to where they could be. And it just never really materialised in the race. It just shows the difference or a big leap that they've taken from last year. I mean, I've got an example looking at some of the qualifying times we were talking about before we actually started recording this episode. Last season, Mercedes, uh, their fastest time was in the 143s. This season their pole position was a 141.2. So Mercedes were two seconds faster, or Lewis Hamilton was two seconds faster in Q3 than he was last season. I I mean, that's that's a huge jump. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing is, is that a lot of cars in the field had made significant improvements. I mean, that wasn't the largest improvement. The largest improvement, I believe, was Williams, where George Russell's Q1 time from last season and his Q2 time from this season He was four seconds faster. So there's improvements in almost every single team this season from where they were last year in quite large proportions. The one exception, and there are no prize for guessing this one, and that's Ferrari. So as we said before, Mercedes were two seconds faster than they were last season, Ferrari half a second slower. So a huge swing in terms of timings where Ferrari effectively lost two and a half seconds to Mercedes on outright pace around this track. I mean that is ridiculously huge in terms, I mean that's the diff I mean you could argue that's like not F2 pace obviously but it's just amazing how difficult this has been for Ferrari and a lot of it has been plagued by this engine controversy that they've had to deal with but on top of that they've had to try and compromise the setup of the car because that car is not designed with this poor engine in mind. They designed it for the one that they were originally going to have before it got outlawed for reasons that we don't know because they weren't disclosed to us, although we can suspect it was to do with the fuel-burning controversy from last season that the FIA were investigating on, which led to that um, undisclosed agreement, a confidential agreement between the two parties. And as a result, this has been a very disappointing weekend for Ferrari. And of course... I think the question has to be asked, Courtney. is, is this going to be the worst weekend for Ferrari this season? Or is there fears that perhaps it could be even worse as the season goes on?
1: Well, yeah, Well, there's, there's two points to race on this. Um, first of all, I need to ask you, because I know you're the stat man. Um, I can't remember the last time both Ferraris finished outside the points on raw pace because usually if you have like one or, or one or maybe two Ferraris out of the race it will be down to um issues with the engine or the car itself or incidents you know in wet weather and stuff. I've never known in the time that I've really been paying close attention to Form One in over a decade, I've never known in my in my memory, both no Ferraris to finish outside the points based on raw pace.
0: Um I to be honest with you, I don't know when that was, I and mean, we were going to be talking years ago. One thing I can tell you that I do know was, and I put this up on the Twitter page, uh, at dnf1 underscore podcast. For those of you that do follow us on Twitter, if you don't follow us, make sure you do because I'm putting newer stuff out all the time. Some interesting facts and stats and obviously doing some live coverage on the race as well. But I'm going to try and trivial uh, tri- with this one. So obviously Ferrari's race was pretty bad for those of you who didn't see. Started 13th and 14th ended up being 13th and 14th, so they didn't really gain or lose any places. The cars just swapped positions, and it was a very difficult race for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc had to pit an extra time owing to uh, issues with the pneumatic pressure on the car, so Ferrari had to top that up, by which they didn't tell him until towards the end of the race. So it really messed up his race after an otherwise pretty good start where he got into the top eight, but he was just getting passed all the time on the Camel Straight by so many cars behind him. It was just horrible to watch, and Sebastian Vettel... Equally having a difficult time. Didn't really get involved too much in terms of the race. And just drove his own race and ended up coming 13th anyway. But here's a bit of a shocking statistic for you guys. So look out for this one if you do see it. Kimi Raikkonen today in the Alfa Romeo finished in 12th position. He was the leading Ferrari powered car. Now this is the first time in which a Ferrari customer team in Alfa Romeo beat both the Ferrari Works cars without retirement since 2013 in the Korean Grand Prix. So nearly seven seven years ago, and that was Nico Hülkenberg when he came fourth for the Sauber team, when uh, Alonso and Felipe Massa, they come sixth and ninth in that race for Ferrari. So, I mean, that, that is just huge.
1: That that, is, that that can't be happening. I'm, engine controversy or not, Ferrari are the biggest team in Formula 1, the most prestigious name in Formula 1. That is embarrassing. That can't be happening. That should not be happening. And I'm sure there'll be, after witnessing it, because there's always fears, weren't there, but after witnessing it, there, there's going to be a lot of questioning happening back in Italy. And, uh, yeah, the touch on your other point, Next week, going to Monza, long straight central, I think it's probably for the best that the Italian fans won't be at Monza next week, eh?
0: Yeah, so this is the thing, because it's almost a blessing in disguise that we're not going to have any fans at this race, or at least Italian fans. and Because nobody's going to want to see this. I mean, it's heartbreaking as a Ferrari fan to see this. I certainly can't remember how bad uh, things were if on a similar level to this. I know Ferrari have had periods in the 80s and the early 90s where... They struggled, but it was a. It took time before Ferrari fell into the midfield, not anywhere near on the scale uh, like this one has. And as I said, the engine issues are one thing, on top of the other stuff. But on this track, Ferrari really did struggle to get the balance right. They were trying to compromise downforce and drag on this car to sort of mitigate the straight line speed disadvantage that they had. And unfortunately,. It just left them so vulnerable today. And in qualifying, they lost so much time in the middle sector. I think they were like a second slower than almost anybody else in that That's sector. I mean, the saving grace is is that running a low downforce setup, they won't have a situation where they'll be in a high downforce sector where they'll lose so much time. But the drawback of that is everybody's running a low downforce setup. So the speed disadvantages that Ferrari will have will still be present in Italy so it it's gonna be a very, very difficult race and on top of that the Ferrari one thousandth race in Magello, that's gonna be difficult for them also. So it's just getting bad to worse for Ferrari and of course owing to the regulation changes or lack thereof until twenty twenty two, there's a very good chance that this sort of pain is gonna last for at least another season on top of this one as well. So a very difficult time at Marinello at the moment for Ferrari, and it just doesn't seem that there's going to be any short-term fix anytime soon.
1: Can I use this as an opportunity to touch on a positive? Yes. And that is in the form of Renault. Congrats to Renault. They've done so well this weekend. The top, the top line, the, the yeah, the top line speed was was impressive. You know, towards the end, when um, Max Verstappen was managing his tyres, you had Daniel Ricciardo catching up, set the fastest um, fastest lap right at the end. Truly impressive stuff by Renault, and there's no reason why they can't even push for a podium next weekend.
0: Yeah, Renault have steadily started improving week by week this season. They started off a bit slow on the back foot. We felt that they were going to be challenging the likes of Alpha Tauri in front of the back markers at the start obviously covid happened so it gave them a lot of time to sort of redevelop the car rebuild certain things and improve it learn more about it they've got a very good driver lineup in ricardo and ocon very very strong one arguably the strongest they've had in a course well probably since 2008 really maybe even earlier maybe even longer than that in my opinion but nonetheless of course Renault have been getting a lot stronger. Today was a really good day for them. This weekend has been very, very good for Renault. Probably the best weekend that they've had in the Turbo Hybrid era. I mean, just looking at the numbers now, Daniel Ricciardo coming fourth in the race after a strong qualifying as with Esteban Ocon in fifth place. This is um, Renault's best finish in the Turbo Hybrid era. They've equaled it. They also managed a fourth and fifth place in the Italian Grand Prix last season. It's also the most points that they've ever scored in a single Formula 1 race, believe it or not. They've scored 23. So, 12 points for 4th place, 10 points for 5th place, and the fastest lap for Daniel Ricciardo. So, uh, a huge achievement to Renault. I must say, congratulations to everybody involved. That's a very, very great result for them. I think they'll almost be celebrating it like they've won a Grand Prix, and um, it's been a very long time since that happened. I think back to the... um, I'm not No, 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 no. But it was later than that. I think it was... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was either the Malaysian or Japanese Grand Prix in 2008 where Fernando Alonso won for Renault for the final time. Um, it was after Singapore, of course, that famous uh, crash
1: game. remember.
0: Yeah, but uh, no, he did win another race after that. I think it was in Malaysia 2008. But it's their best result equaled since um, 2011 where they made the podium at the Malaysian Grand Prix. Do you know which driver that was that made that podium Courtney for Renault? Oh,
1: 2011?
0: Yes. Oh,
1: you've caught me off guard. I don't (laughs) know. I wish
0: I'd done more research. (laughs) No, it's quite all right. So for those of you uh, playing along with us on this one, well done to you if you said Nick Heifeld. So uh, yes, Nick Heifeld was... Nick Heifeld, Nick Heifeld (laughs) still proves to be Renault's last podium scorer since then. They haven't got one since. Uh, he was teammates with Vitaly Petrov, if you remember, cast your mind that far back back in the day. So uh, great stuff for Renault. And uh, it's really good to see that they're starting to get on top of things now. They've got a very strong driver line-up. It's a good yes, car. they have. It's definitely a big improvement on last year's car. I mean, everyone's made a step forward, as I said, except Ferrari, really. But Renault, yeah, a great job from them. Really good result. Good driving all together. And it's starting to come together. I think more, more results like that for them, then you never know. They may challenge for... Third position in the constructors' championship is certainly not out of the question.
1: Yeah, it, it does explain why um, Fernando Alonso, like, like as rejoined them because I was wondering, like, what you, what you're doing. You're not gonna achieve anything, but he's obviously he must know what's happening
0: in the background. Yeah, no, absolutely. He must know what's
1: happening in the background, and. Um... And it is starting to show, so maybe Renault are building something that's um, impressed Fernando. And next week's going to be very intriguing to see where Renault end up. Must say.
0: Well, I think what Renault did very, very well in this race was they ran a lower downforce setup, similar to what Ferrari did, but they managed to get that sweet spot absolutely right. So you may find that they may do something similar. Um, in the Italian Grand Prix, Mr. Laube said that the Renault engine is made. Some big moves forward. That it's a much more competitive and powerful engine than people give it credit. I suppose there's some truth to that, given that McLaren have shared some success with the mm. Renault engine this season. Of course, Lando Norris on the podium in the uh, Austrian race, and of course, Carlos Sainz got a podium in Brazil as well with that Renault engine. So it's definitely no slouch. It definitely can. It's definitely got a bit of oomph to it, and uh, you never know. This could this could be the start of Renault's charge up the order as I said other teams around them uh, have not exactly delivered what we thought they might I mean Racing Point were good at the start of the weekend but it kind of just filtered away although Sergio Perez did do rather well in the end and of course McLaren a bit of a contrasting weekend for them Lando Norris getting that uh, 7th position I believe it was so no scenario 7 for Lando this time round on the final lap as he was battling with Ocon and Alex Albon in the Red Bull but wasn't able to get past either of them and Carlos Sainz didn't even start the race as he suffered an exhaust failure on the lap to the grid before the formation lap which completely ruined his race he just uh, wasn't able to get the car out in time to do any running and uh, as I said, difficult weekend for Carlos obviously Lando will be happy with the points but it's all to play for that third spot I mean Ferrari, we don't know Maybe the races will come back to them towards the end of the season with a bit more technical races where cornering speeds are more uh, prominent than engine power. Um, I'm certainly sure they'll be looking forward to those races more than others. But um, it's all to play for that top three position in the Constructors' Championship. I think Red Bull and Mercedes are in their own sort of classes and then the rest of the field after that. Talking of Carlos Sainz, how must he be feeling right now? Because this is a man who, six months ago, signed a deal to become the new Ferrari driver alongside Charles Leclerc for the 2021 season. And a man who obviously will be the next Spanish superstar in Formula One after Fernando Alonso. Although say that, Fernando will be coming back next year anyway. So that's going to be an interesting return for him to see his uh, protege, if you like, joining the Ferrari team that he once drove for himself. But this is far from the Ferrari team that Fernando even probably left back in 2015. So, in your mind, Courtney, what must Carlos Sainz be thinking right now? Because surely he must be worried about Ferrari's performance because that's probably going to be a fairly similar car to what he's going to be stepping into next season.
1: Did you see the, um, the clip of Carlos Sainz during the race when I think um, I think Vettel got overtaken it got overtaken by an Alpha Tauri, I believe. Don't hold me to it. But there was a clip of Carlos Sainz watching it. Honestly, look it up afterwards. There's actually a clip of Carlos Sainz. Actually, like, he was sitting watching the race and he actually like, lowered his head and was shaking his head watching, like, the easy overtake. Yeah. So Carlos Sainz is already feeling stressed about the prospect of racing for Ferrari next season. He's had a bad day overall, to be fair to the guy, but to say that that was that was that was quite ominous to see a future driver feeling that um dejected about Ferrari before even racing for them
0: yeah i mean I, I don't think i'd ever known anybody to feel worried about the prospect of joining ferrari in the following season currently from the position he was at i mean because at the time he was signing for one of the big three teams a team that was challenging for race wins and and world Championship, so he's thinking okay we're finally going to start to see what i can really do amongst the big boys in formula one now he's probably in a position where he's going into a slower car then he then he's leaving in mclaren and um that is quite a worrying thought to have and uh, i'm not sure how ferrari are going to get out of this anytime soon in the short term as i said engine development is going to be very restricted owing to the lack of tokens available to them and the aero, there's only so much that Ferrari can do on the aero, and given the concept that they've gone down for this season with the high drag concept with the powerful engine they thought they were going to use, they may have to abandon that concept to mitigate the losses that they're suffering with the engine, to go with the low drag car that they had last season. So, very, very interesting times for car loss signs, and of course, so much going on down the paddock. I mean, Renault having a great day today, but Daniel is going to McLaren next season, so... So much change, but perhaps McLaren with the Mercedes engine next season. They'll probably be very much looking forward to getting the Mercedes engine in that McLaren more than Carlos Sainz is looking to get into that Red Ferrari. So um, I think the only big winner out of all of this is probably Lando Norris. Yeah, arguably. I mean, yeah, for Carlos Sainz, he, he must be, he
1: must be thinking, well, I've gone from a team that's. Progressing because slowly, Shawley surely, McLaren have been moving forward. Going from a team that's, you know, yeah, could be looking to even challenge for podiums next season with a Mercedes engine in the back of it. Gone to a Ferrari team that he probably expected to be challenging for race wins for, and he, and he might even be struggling to, on a regular basis, score points. So he must be, he, he must be. I'll tell you what, he's probably going to be happy that today's over when he closes his eyes tonight.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think this is probably a good time to take a break, actually. We're sort of halfway through this podcast now. So um, in the second part, we're going to cover a few more teams and how they've got on this weekend, a little bit more touch on Mercedes and what's going on there. And we'll be giving a preview to the Italian Grand Prix, which happens this time next week. So until then, guys, grab yourself a drink, get yourself comfortable, and we will see you in the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast. (laughs) So welcome back to part two, guys, of the DNF1 F1 podcast. In part one, if you just gloss through to the second part, we just mostly covered most of the Belgian Grand Prix, some of the reaction to it. And I think going on from what we were talking about already, Courtney, covering great performances from Renault and obviously a contrasting day from McLaren, one team in particular we haven't talked too much about is AlphaTauri. And I think one driver that I think we've heralded and heaped praise on this season and once again has done a stellar job is Pierre Gasly. Um, Pierre Gassi coming in 8th position overall today quite a contrasting race for him the way that it sort of developed because he started off rather well managed to get ahead of both the Ferraris after a bit of a slower than normal start and uh, was running quite well in the top 8 and then of course we had the safety car that came out after that lap 11 incident where Antonio Giovinazzi lost it out of the uh chicane And uh, as a result, one of his wheels came off the tethers and caught George Russell, thankfully, caught George Russell's car in a position where it didn't really cause him too much damage or risk to the driver. And I I think we will talk a bit more about my pet peeve with the wheel tethers a little bit later on. But um, obviously the race developed with a safety car. Gasly stayed out. He ended up in P4 alongside Sergio Perez, who didn't pit either for racing point in fifth. And as the race went on on the harder tyres... They started to fall away and it almost seemed like Pierre was staying out a bit too long. But then eventually he came into the pits, put on some new tyres, went really, really quickly. Not only did he get past some of the other cars to get into PA, but he also overtook Sergio Perez on the way to doing that, who was on a similar strategy. So once again, Pierre Gasly doing a fantastic job this season for AlphaTauri. And it must be said, given the situation that Red Bull find themselves in over their evaluation on do they both, do they have the two fastest drivers in the Red Bull programme in their team right now. I think it's fair to say that they probably don't. And that perhaps Pierre Gasly may be ready to start knocking on the door again for a call up to the senior Red Bull team. What do you think, Courtney?
1: Well yeah, like this this season he's he's like a whole new person. Like it was it was it was obvious how much he was struggling, how how his confidence has got absolutely sucked from him when he was at Red Bull. He's found his um he's found his place again. He's, he seems to be well up, definitely outperforming the uh, the Alpha Tower. He's, he's one of the drivers along with uh Lewis and Max that seems to be outperforming the car. And yeah, I mean you're looking at it, he, he's definitely one of the drivers of the season. He got he got a voted driver of the um of the day today. And there is no reason that, you know, if if Alex Albon continues to underachieve, um, Gasly has to be one of the first drivers at Red Bull look
0: at. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I-, I think I was talking about this back at the British Grand Prix when I talked about Pierre Gasly because he likes it at Silverstone. And when we look back on what was going for him or what wasn't going for him last season in 2019, that level of adversity that he found himself in in that team and the way that he kind of unceremoniously was demoted to the Alpha Tauri team or Tor Rosso as it was then in exchange for Alex Albon, because it's been a year now since those two have swapped teams. There's always three ways in which adversity can affect you it can either define you, destroy you, or strengthen you. And in a lot of cases in the past, particularly in the Red Bull Drivers programme, it's usually been one of the first two. Yeah. Where it's either defined or destroyed them. But for Pierre Gasly, there was always that fear that that was going to be the case. But unlike that, um, or others that before him, perhaps like Danny Kvyat, for example, is maybe a fair uh, example of that, who is doing rather well still at Alva nonetheless. But Pierre Gasly has sort of taken stock of everything. He's kind of sat himself down and realised that, look, yes, I've lost a big, big seat and a big opportunity. And... He's basically sat down, took stock of the whole situation, and basically almost reinvented himself. And as a result, he's delivering some great performances. He's driving really, really well. And I, for one, have been very, very impressed with him this season. Definitely one of my drivers of the season. It's been a difficult year for Pierre Gasly. I mean, obviously, this it's been a year since uh, we lost Antoine Hubert, the uh, F2 driver who sadly lost his life in an incident at the top of Radion in last season's F2 feature race who was a very close personal friend if not best friend of Pierre Gasly and Pierre's probably been affected by that tragic loss more than most and in that weekend I I can't imagine what he must have been going through where he lost practically his best friend and lost his seat at Red Bull all in the same weekend so to go from that extremely difficult low period in his life and bear in mind he's only in his early 20s as well so he's still very very young to getting where he is today where race by race he's regularly in the top 10 he's challenging team he's challenging the racing points the Renaults McLarens the Ferraris and really scoring some big points for that team in a car that you'd probably argue is on the fringes of the top 10 but shouldn't be anywhere near as performing as well as what he's doing with it it's just it definitely heaps praise on that level of character from someone like Pierre Gasly and I've always been a fan of his I thought he's always done really really well in junior categories and in Formula One to a point but I think we're starting to see a level of maturity and a level of character that if you were to put him in the red Bull now alongside Max Verstappen as difficult as that would be I think he would handle it a lot lot better than he had done uh, a year ago and perhaps we would start to see what he could really do in a top level Formula One car
1: it's going to be awkward for Red Bull going forward because it seems to be a similar case with Albon. There's no denying that Albon's a very good driver. He's with, with plenty of potential. We know he'd done pretty well in junior categories as well. There just seems to be a pressure of being a teammate of Max Verstappen. You know, we saw Daniel Ricciardo go as well. Let's let's not forget. But it just seems that with, with Pierre... that. It, it, I think the best way to describe his time at tower it's been a bit of a detox for him, and it seems to have, uh, yeah, it's done him a lot of good. And if these trends continue with both himself and Albon, I think um, Red Bull got some very awkward questions to be asking themselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a very difficult position to be in. Of course, it's not the worst problem in the world. I mean, there are teams that have got much more difficult problems to deal with at the moment, not necessarily the drivers being the issue. But, yes... um, Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly have both talked a lot about driving those cars and the contrast between them. I mean, quite often we talk about some of these cars at the bottom end of the championship being easier cars to drive, but not necessarily fast. And the Alpha Tauri, I think it's fair to say, is a fairly easier car to drive than the Red Bull, but significantly slower, whereas the Red Bull is a very difficult car to handle but it's very, very quick. And in Max Verstappen's case, he's got it nailed on, he drives it almost like he stole it, pardon pardoning the phrase, and I mean, they talk about quite oftenly, actually I should rephrase that actually, you hear quite a lot the old phrase that he's driving the car beyond its limits. Now, I've thought about that saying a lot, and I can understand why Formula One teams don't necessarily use that phrasing. And the reason being is it's more of a logical reason than you probably think. And that's because Max Verstappen right now is like a blueprint for that Red Bull car. He's literally driving the Red Bull car to its limit or getting the most out of it that's possible. And unfortunately, what that does is sets a barometer to Red Bull where they look at someone like Alex Albon and say, well, look, this is the level that Max Verstappen is getting out of this car, which says to us that this is the most or the fastest that the car can possibly go, this is the level you need to try and get near. And at the moment, I think it's fair to say that despite Alex's best efforts and his talent that we all know is there, and a lot of it, he's just not able to live to that standard, as Pierre Gasly was in that same position a year ago and towards the latter end of his Red Bull time, Ricardo was before them. So it's a really hard thing that it's a really hard problem that Red Bull have to deal with and right now Gasly's impressive form is making this much harder for them
1: yeah I feel that the second driver shall we say at Red Bull they have the exact same problem that Bottas has at Mercedes because Bottas is up against almost statistically because we're going to be statistically the best driver of all time and then, at Red Bull, Albon, Gasly, whoever, whoever joins in the future to partner Max Verstappen, Stafford, they're up against somebody that is very likely to go on to be the driver of his generation. And if all goes well in terms of which cars he has, he could go on to even challenge um, Lewis' stats when Lewis retires. These are very, very exceptional drivers. And it's just unfortunate for these guys that they have them as teammates.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And, um, it is a difficult position. Uh, I'm not sure where Red Bull are going to go with this one, but if I'll be perfectly brutally honest, I think Red Bull are doing a good thing sticking with their driver lineup. from what we understand, that, that that's what they will be doing. It hasn't yeah. been. I don't think it's been officially confirmed, but as far as I'm aware, they probably will do that. And Gasly to stay in the Alpha Terry for another year. Come 2022, when we have the huge overhaul of rule changes, that may well be when Red Bull say to Pierre Gasly, we want you to come back and replace Alex Albon. So Alex, um, do an okay job, but in races like today, you would expect at least for Alex Albon, not necessarily to be on the hinges of his teammate, but not really struggling to beat the Renaults or the McLarens or the Racing Points or the Ferraris at the moment. Um, As harsh as that may sound, and I do appreciate that it's probably not a fair assessment of Alex Albon's talent, because I mean, if he'd got the two podiums or potentially a race win in Austria and a podium in Brazil that were taken away from after those collisions with Lewis Hamilton, we may not be having this discussion. Alex Albon may have found another level. and um, But despite all the positive testaments and tributes that other drivers that know him well have paid to him, there's only so much time you can give someone to be able to demonstrate they can do it before you lose faith and patience and think, mm, maybe we need to go elsewhere with them or back a better horse, if you like, for lack of a better phrasing I suppose for it so um, yeah, I mean, the
1: yeah. Next, yeah the next few races are going to be telling He needs to be you know you just said it yourself he needs to be shall we say the average race you've got the two Mercedes up front or Max managing the Mercedes he needs to be regularly at least off because if he does continue to struggle with the other teams in midfield then you're absolutely right. Red Bull going to be given no choice but to look for another driver going forward, particularly if Red Bull continue to catch up and they want to mount a serious championship challenge.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And I think it's fair to say that the teams behind the big teams have closed up. You know, that golf has shrunk, or at least Red Bull to everybody else has shrunk, not necessarily Mercedes, but at the same time, you still expect Albon or a very, very good driver of his calibre to at least be in fourth, behind Max, at the very least, not necessarily challenging the teams in the midfield. But uh, we'll move on from that. Of course, we're going to talk a briefly about the incident with Giovinazzi and George Russell. So, as we talked about earlier, Giovinazzi lost control of his car, coming out of the LaFangia chicane on the way to Stavolo, and um, yeah, ended up smashing it into the barrier, and one of the wheels came loose on his car, and... It basically hit George Russell's car as he was trying to avoid it and it sent George Russell out of the race into the barrier on the left hand side so I've seen in a few races recently this season where Formula 1 cars that have had crashes a wh- at least one of the wheels have come off and the tethers on the tyres are supposed to be there and for those of you that don't know F1 tyres now these days have tethers on them so that when you have big impacts the wheels stay on the car, they don't just bounce off or go into the wall or into the crowd or even into another car but quite recently we've seen a few times where those have failed and it's happened again today and unfortunately it's led to George Russell retiring thankfully it didn't really hit him in a difficult position but I suppose the one thing I will say is thank heavens we've got the halo because who knows where that wheel could have gone I mean that wheel was going in his direction and if it had bounced up and hit him in the helmet at the speeds that they were going don't want to sound uh, you know like a, a mundane expression guys but that potentially could have killed him
1: yeah it had um, when I saw that moment it had like a. I don't know it kind of took me back to when I first saw the center incident you know when he was hit because he was hit by uh, a piece of suspension himself wasn't he? because I think there was pieces of suspension from the, uh, from the car as well it's not nice to see it's not nice to see, and you're right, I was always under the impression in recent seasons that when F1 cars crash, the wheels stay attached and you're spot on. This season, there have been several incidents at least where the tyres have come off, and in in a time where safety is such a big thing, it shouldn't be happening.
0: No, you're absolutely right, it shouldn't be happening at all. So, uh, I mean, hopefully, you know, this is something that they'll be looking into and trying to see if they can make improvements in the future, because... It is happening a bit too often. I mean, it was a nasty crash. There wasn't a massive amount of that re- Alfa Romeo left in the first place, but nonetheless, it was one of those where George probably would have been caught up in the incident anyway, one way or another. But he certainly shouldn't have to worry about a tyre bouncing off in his direction. But as I said, thankfully they've got the halo now. Rather in you know in the older days, well not older days, back as late as twenty seventeen, where they didn't have them on the cars and they were completely open wheel. Um, I don't feel we're ever going to get back to those days ever again. But uh, it's a good thing that we have that protection nonetheless. So for the last 10 minutes or so on this podcast, we're going to preview the Italian Grand Prix now. So this will be the 999th race for Ferrari in their uh, illustrious history in Formula One. And uh, as we alluded to before, it's looking like it's going to be a very, very difficult homecoming for the team The only saving grace for them is that they won't have to face the embarrassment of going through that pain in front of their home crowd, or at least in front of the home crowd from a live perspective. They'll, of course, be watching around the world the Defoe see, probably with head in hands more than up in arms, I would probably say it's fair to uh, predict at this point for them.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because if it wasn't for this pandemic and you had crowds there... I'd be intrigued to see the reaction of the fans.
0: Mm.
1: Particularly at the end of the race where obviously you have the, the uh the Fosse. And you know, there's 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 no hiding from that volume of people stating their opinions, is there? So it's definitely a blessing um blessing in disguise for Ferrari that funny enough, they're not there. Their biggest their biggest external weapon in the F1 season could have been uh could have exposed some real issues within the team. So it'd be interesting to see how they uh how they go with their setup next week to try and uh, minimise the pain but they need to start licking their wounds because there's gonna be big trouble at Ferrari if they continue to struggle the way they are.
0: Yeah, I mean unfortunately it seems that Ferrari have not gone down the usual route that they go down when they struggle and that's sort of uh putting heads on a chopping block and starting yeah. to fire people and replacing. They've not gone down that route, they've gone for the more patient apathetic route where they've decided to you know play this longer term project out uh, John Elkin as we said and Louis Camilleri talked about 2022 being the time when Ferrari were expected to come back so hopefully this is the medicine that they need to take people in certain roles need a bit more time and freedom and support to sort of get things right and hopefully by then they will but as we said before it's going to be a difficult time for them they will try to mitigate this with their setup changes but as I said before Everybody's going to be going for low downforce. So straight line speed, more than anywhere else on the calendar, is going to be a huge priority. And given that Charles Leclerc became a cult hero for Ferrari by winning the Italian Grand Prix last season, I'd say a lot would have to happen for a repeat of that. It looks more and more likely that Mercedes once again are going to dominate. And I think this is going to be a very, very impressive domination in Italy. I think if we fought today or other races where I think Mercedes very much could be boasting another one-two here in the Italian Grand Prix. And I think, going back to Mercedes, because we haven't really talked about this, um, actually, while I've actually thought about it, I'm just looking through my phone, Courtney, because I did some notes for this podcast, as I often do, for little interesting pieces of information to put out. And uh, did you know, two pieces of trivia, actually... For those of you interested, first of all, Mes- us today. Oh, I'm, I'm spoiling you guys today. Yeah. So first of all, Mercedes have led a lap in each of the last 30 Grand Prix's in a row. So that's wow. one that's one impressive statistic, probably one that people probably expect is realistic, but impressive nonetheless. But also Lewis Hamilton has now become the all time record ho- holder for the most kilometres Travelled in the lead of a Formula One race. Not necessarily the most laps led, that's still Michael Schumacher, but he's now travelled the longest distance leading a Grand Prix in Formula One.
1: Think, running out of uh, things to say about this guy and, and Mercedes. It's just simply incredible. There's no other way around it.
0: I think we're running out of records for Lewis to break here. He hasn't got many left that uh, he's got because. to accomplish, but as I said, yeah, very, very quickly becoming the all time most decorated driver of Formula 1. And uh, I think you put it out on the Instagram page earlier, Courtney. You were asking fans in a poll, does Lewis get the credit he deserves? And I think that's definitely something we need to talk about probably in a couple of weeks' time when he either equals or breaks Schumacher's win record because it's only a matter of time. And uh, the pole positions as well speak for themselves. 89 race victories, 93 pole positions. Of course, this latest one he dedicated to the late... Uh, Chadwick Boseman the uh, lead actor in the Black Panther films and uh, uh, what a tragic loss that was so um, thoughts with his friends and family at this time it's such a shock to hear news like that and uh, Lewis was talking recently about the influence and how great it was to see someone like Chadwick playing the lead role in a superhero film to sort of uh, represent a model or a uh, example for for hope and opportunity for young black children all around the world that they can do the same thing and be the next Superman and stuff like that. And obviously similar to what Lewis Hamilton is doing in Formula One, you know, op- that he's, sort of thing.
1: He is, he is the, uh, you know, he's, for Lewis, he represents, and I know a lot of people get annoyed about how much he dominates or, or make a, a thing about his lifestyle choices. But for Lewis, not only is he representing, you know, obviously a big part of his identity is, you know, his his dad who originates from Grenada, that's a big thing for the black community and also the working class community. He he just gives a lot of people, you know, from working class to black class, um, from black community, community, shall I say. Yes an opportunity to think, you know what, we can do this because Formula 1 is known as a primarily a rich white man's sport. And I just think Lewis has come along and he's and he's blown this sort of mindset out of the water, hopefully, because you want to be seeing as many people being given the opportunity to be the elite at a sport and they're not held back by their class or their race.
0: Mm, absolutely.
1: Um, mm. And as much, as much nonsense Lewis gets from fans of other teams. Going forward, I'm, I'm just hoping that he almost becomes an ambassador for people from black and working-class communities.
0: Well, I think he already is. In terms of his success, yeah. he's been very outspoken. He's obviously introduced new diversity programmes into Formula One that he's involved in heavily. I think he mentioned in an interview with Martin Brundle that the uh, key factor is not necessarily the what, it's the hows and the whys in terms of opportunities, why there aren't more... Uh, people from different ethnic backgrounds other than you know just white people or white ethnicities in Formula One and why it's such an elitist sport not as a detrimental term but why why F1 is not more diverse in terms of people involved in it and that's that's important so that's something that hopefully will produce not necessarily just drivers but you know people in the paddock people in you know the media and broadcasting every dimension of Formula One can become more diverse and hopefully these initiatives that lewis is an ambassador of and pioneering and as a lead example of what he's been able to achieve in this sport despite the discrimination that he has faced uh, across many forms it's great to see that that is now being taken note and hopefully the system can change and that we can find a more i find ourselves immersed in a more diverse sport with equal opportunity for everyone that's what we're hoping for and uh, I think in Lewis, as I said, as an example and a role model, he's definitely achieving that. But going back to the Italian Grand Prix preview uh, ourselves I mean, as far as tangents go going off, it's a good one to go off on to. Definitely. <laughs> so, um, but back to the actual uh, race preview itself. Lewis Hamilton, as we said before, five out of the last six races he's won, with the exception of the uh, F1 70th anniversary Grand Prix at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago where Max Verstappen won. Is it fair to say that it's probably... I mean, we've said this in a few episodes now, but can Valtteri Bottas beat Lewis Hamilton? I feel like I've asked this question over and over and over again. And unfortunately, it just doesn't seem any more likely than before that Bottas is going to really get stuck in there and beat Lewis Hamilton. It's almost like he's driving with... uh, Almost like he's driving with um, an anvil tied to the back of the car. He just doesn't want, just doesn't seem to want to try and attack Lewis Hamilton or to try and get stuck in there and uh, leave it on the line to try and beat him. Because unfortunately, that's what he's going to have to do to beat Lewis. Because if he keeps doing what he's doing, Lewis is going to rack up the 7th World Championship very, very soon.
1: Well, yeah, he's running out of time. You know, I think I think I said this in our preview for um, for this race, uh, for Spa. He needs to be doing it now, but well, there's what ten races left. Yes, and unless, and unless Lewis has a DNF or two, I I, I can't I, I can't see him being out, outperformed enough by Valtteri to even be half a challenge to his championship hunt.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Uh, he's running out of time, and Mercedes will love this. Mercedes want to get one twos and dominate the sport and do what they're doing right now, and they will love the fact that they have. A driver like Lewis, and they equally love the fact that they have a driver like Valtteri, who clearly, over the last few years, has had his moments, but they've become more few and far between in terms of actually challenging Lewis for that World Championship position. And um, unfortunately, this is the problem, because the Mercedes uh, seems to be the only car that can beat Lewis Hamilton, and Valtteri Bottas is currently the other guy driving it. And you could argue put Max Verstappen in that Mercedes and we'd see what would really happen. But I don't think we're going to get that with them two in the same car at the same time. So um, I guess we're both on the same wavelength, probably a Mercedes 1-2, I suppose. And uh, who would you think would come third? You've been pretty good with your predictions. Yeah,
1: (laughs) quite quite interestingly. The Renaults could be in the hunt this week. That'd be great to
0: see. Yeah. I think that's probably fair, I think the Renaults will be up there I'm probably going to be wise and probably go with what you went with last week And that was uh, Hamilton Bottas and Max Verstappen Yeah. Um, but the Renaults I think will definitely be the biggest challenges If they can repeat what they've done this weekend
1: it'd, just be, it'd be it'd be good to see, particularly if Mercedes do run away at the front again It'd be nice to see a good ding-dong between uh, Max Verstappen and Danny Rick Because I do miss those days
0: Yeah, I certainly do and uh, I never get bored of seeing Daniel Ricciardo send it into uh, Turn 1, into the, into the uh, chica- yeah, Del Raggio chicane. So um, hopefully we'll see a bit more of that this weekend coming, and uh, Renault will do well. Uh, McLaren, Racing Point, probably going to be similar to how they were in Belgium. Uh, McLaren, I mean, Racing Point should in theory be strong, but they always seem to look strong over practice, and then... Over the course of the race, they just don't seem to deliver. I mean, they haven't scored a podium yet. They've been as far up as fourth. But, um, again, they just seem to fall away this weekend. And perhaps that is a sign that that car is not an easy one to develop for them. Or perhaps they're not really focused on developing it much this season.
1: Well, yeah, if if they've just basically got almost a carbon copy of last year's Mercedes, they don't really
0: have much development to work with. Hmm. They'll have to wait for next year. Like a off, they? They'll, have <laughs> to... <laughs> They'll have to wait till next year to roll out the uh, 2020 Mercedes for next season. Yeah. <laughs> Although they have sort of outlawed copying other cars, but I'm sure they're going to be in ways of that. I I, thought, I saw a funny video Um, to go off on a quick tangent before we finish this up. Um, You've heard of the YouTuber Into the Barrier, right?
1: I haven't. Uh, you haven't,
0: oh, okay. Well, for those of you that have, um, Into the Barrier is a Formula One YouTuber, Uh, I think Scott, his name is. And he did this really funny video about why the Mercedes car should be banned for 2020. And one of the reasons why he said it, and this was a parody video, obviously. Um, You see more of his content. You can see what he's about. He's all parody. But um, one of the reasons he said was that it's copying the 2021 racing point. So that show (laughs) should ban the Mercedes. And I'm sitting there watching this laughing. I'm thinking... He's got a point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> epic <laughs> for- epic, for- epic, foreshadowing from Scott there. So um, definitely <laughs> give it a watch, guys. Into the Barrier on YouTube if you uh, haven't seen it. It is quite funny, some of his content. Ju- that did make me laugh when I saw that. Mercedes W11 is a copy of the Racing Point 2021 car. So um, we'll have to wait and see what the 2021 Racing Point looks like. See if he's on the money, the RP21. See if that's anything similar. But uh, I digress on that one. But... Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all there is to cover in this one. I mean, we talked in depth about Ferrari. We expect them to have another difficult weekend. And uh, a very, very interesting development, how this championship is starting to go now. It just seems that Lewis is running away with this. And perhaps we are now just counting down the days to uh, when, rather than if he will win his seventh world championship and also break Schumacher's record. Will it be in Magello, where he achieves the 91st race victory? Of course, that would be a very difficult pill, for Ferrari to swallow on their home patch on their anniversary day when it's about them for their 1,000th Grand Prix. And Lewis Hamilton goes to equal the success of their greatest ever driver. But uh, nonetheless, guys, obviously. So, uh, yeah, that's um, it's probably a good way to end this podcast now. We've sort of been rambling on for a bit more. But uh, nonetheless, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the DNF1F1 podcast. Thank you, of course, to Courtney Pine, my co-host, for joining me once again, offering his uh, insight and in-depth analysis on this week's Always
1: race. a pleasure, Adam. And I'd just like to uh, say one thing before we round up this episode. Um, for those of you who do not know Adam very well, it is his 29th birthday this week, so do join me in wishing Adam a very happy birthday.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. I completely forgot about that if i'm honest <laughs> you, you,
1: you do once to get past 25 you try to
0: forget you're getting a year older yeah no you, you do you tend to forget the years and then you're getting nearer to 30 you're like slow down slow down but uh <laughs> no not quite 30 yet but uh yeah i mean where do the years go honestly but nonetheless uh, thank you and uh i'm no sure worries. even during uh this uh environment that we're all currently living in i'm sure i'll find a way to celebrate and enjoy i mean i'll be seeing you this week anyway so uh that should be good. Um but yeah, nonetheless, guys, um if you're new to the DNF1 F1 podcast, thank you very much for tuning in. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Of course, we're just as a quick announcement, we're gonna be doing video podcast episodes soon. So uh keep an eye out on for when that will be, so you'll be able to see our lovely mugs on the screen talking basically as we do. And uh yeah, make of that what you will. And uh, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well, dnf1 underscore podcast on both pages. Make sure to follow us on there as we are quite lively with the content now or what we talk about during the race weekend. So plenty more to get involved in on that one as well. And uh, all this left to say is thank you for joining us on another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. We will see you this time next week in the next episode. So until then, take care and uh, we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast.
1: See you soon, everyone.
0: Podcast Network.